Well, good morning, church. Hope everyone is doing all right this morning. We're so glad to see you. Would you please stand? And we want to start today with a reading of Scripture. Uh, This is out of Philippians 2. It says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so every time that we gather, uh, we want to remind ourselves of, of Christ and what he has done for us and the position that he holds and our position in relation to him. And so as we lift our voices this morning, let's sing the name of Christ. Let's lift that name high because he is the risen lamb for sinners that was slain. Let's sing this out. All the hail the power of Crown him, Lord of 
Sing it out, Savior. And Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Church, how are we this, this morning? 
Is it rainy outside? Is it wet? Is this August? It is August. We are thankful you're here this morning and that you've braved the weather to uh, worship with us uh, here this morning. Uh, it's, uh, my name is Seth Brown, and uh, it's just good to gather with you uh, as God's people. We appreciate your presence with us. Uh, we're just so thankful that you're here this morning. If you're new to Faith Bible or if this is your first time visiting, uh, we are very, very thankful you're here. We would love to meet you. After the service, we encourage you to go to the Welcome Center. It's right across the lobby, and there'll be some folks there to answer any questions that you might have about Faith Bible. And uh, let us get to know you a little bit. It's a win-win situation for everybody. So, uh, again, if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. Uh, there are about uh, four quick announcements I want to make this morning. Uh, first, this afternoon here at 3 o'clock in the sanctuary, we're having our next Women's Connect event. Uh, women, there's still room uh, if you want to go to that. Again, that's going to meet here at 3 o'clock. Uh, and then this afternoon also at 5 o'clock in room E7 is our 2-7 orientation. And so uh, we'd love for you, for you to be a part of, of one of those things or both those things today. And uh, those, uh, there's still room and plenty of, plenty of room in those events for you. Uh, second, we invite all of you uh, out on Tuesday evening. We, we have a very special uh, event happening on Tuesday nights, our Welcome Home Ice Cream Social for the McLaughlin family. And so uh, that's going to be from 6.30 to 8 uh, in the new student ministry area. Uh, this is going to be your chance to, to welcome them home. I can't look down because he's right here in front of me, uh, but uh, this is going to be your chance to welcome the McLaughlin's home, love them, uh, hear about their journey over the past four months since Chris's accident, and uh, we're very excited about that event. So uh, that's Tuesday evening at 6.30 in the, uh, the student ministry area. Third, Wednesday night activities start uh, on Wednesday night, so uh, at 6.30 the adults will be here, the Iwana Kids will meet at 6.15, and then uh, Faith Student Ministries will meet at 6.30. And so uh, we'd love for you to start being a part of Wednesday night activities. Those kick up um, on Wednesday. And then lastly, over the next several weeks, we have Ladies Bible Studies beginning in September. We have our Man Up Men's Breakfast uh, for, for September. There's an insert in your bulletin about that. That's going to be a monthly event with Pastor Mark. We'd love for the men to be there for those. And then uh, on September 15th, we have our next New Member Connection Workshop. Lots of stuff happening. We encourage you to take a look at your bulletin this morning. Check all that out. And again, thank you so much for being here. If you'll just stand and greet someone around you, we will continue worshiping together. Thanks so much. Well, as you make your way back, uh, if you would just please remain standing, we're going to continue uh, lifting our voices together in worship this morning. And, uh, you know, Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians that the old is gone and that the new has come. It says that we have been made new creations, and because of that, we can know that we are no longer slaves to sin, but Scripture tells us that we are adopted into the family of God. And so that's what we're about to sing about this morning. Let's celebrate that truth that we are a part of God's family. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. Till all my fears are gone 
no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. My mother's womb, you have chosen me. Your love has called my name. I've been born again to your family. Your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to be. for his mercy as we sing. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every moon, our sins they are all-knowing, He counts not their 
some thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the So tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the Is more. 
seed. This is, uh, this is a day we've been waiting for for a long time. Uh, Chris and Sarah McLaughlin and their family are back here with us. I'll give a round of applause. I, I that's, uh, good enough, but, uh, uh, wanted to welcome them back and just um, pray for them, but also to give Chris just a moment to share anything he'd like to say with us, if you're able to do that right now, if you want to go ahead and just, anything you'd like to say, just, really you don't have anything to say? Okay, all right. Now, I, w I will say this, uh, um, you know, um, the one thing, unique situation I'm in, this is not something that, you know, of course anybody wanted to happen. But it put me in a, in a situation, in a position to experience God's love through the church, in which I had never been able to otherwise. And so I want to just thank everybody for all the, the support and prayers and cards and visits and um, just let you know how much that means to me. So. God bless you, man. Well, you can be seated if you'd like, and we'll, we'll lay hands upon Chris and Sarah, the elders who are present here with us in this service this morning. And Father, we come before you today, and we thank you for the fellowship of the saints. Uh, we thank you that the church is a family, and we thank you for these uh, two members of our family, our brother Chris and our sister Sarah and their family that you brought back to us. And uh, Father, we thank you for all that you've done for them through, through the church. We thank you for many people here, Lord, who sacrificed and labored to help them. We've just seen a beautiful picture of what it means to be a part of God's family. And uh, Father, we, we pray for Chris and for Sarah. We thank you for bringing them back here safely to us. Uh, Father, we pray for your healing hand to be upon Chris's body. Father, we ask you to do what only you can do as a great physician to come, Father, and to begin to restore parts of his body uh, to, to full function. And Father, we call upon you to do that. We know that you can do all things, and we trust in you and believe in you. And Father, we pray as they get settled back into their life here now that they would uh, enjoy the blessings of life, and thank you for the family that you've given to them and all the people who love and care for them. And uh, Father, we just ask for your wonderful and rich and gracious hand of blessing to continue to be upon them and upon our church as we love them and minister to them and as we receive back from them uh, the wonderful testimony of your grace in their lives. Father, thank you so much for this day. Uh, we've looked forward to it for so long now. Thank you for our Lord Jesus. May his name be praised forever. Amen. Well, we wanted to sing one more song this morning, and this song has really been the McLaughlin's uh, family song even before all of this happened, but this has really been their anthem uh, as they've come through these past few months and has really just been a testimony of, of their faithfulness. So let's sing this together. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. As 
stand as we sing this last verse. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thy own dear presence to cheer and to Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for the testimony of your faithfulness that we have seen in Chris and Sarah in this past few months. God, and for the light that they have been, the blessing that they have been to so many in our church and around. God, we just pray that uh, you would just continue to be with them as they're back home. And God, we're so excited to have them here and to be able to love on them and do life with them again. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Well, it's great to see everyone here this morning, and uh, God bless you all. Thank you for being here with us. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad you're here with us this morning. We pray that you'll be blessed 
uh, by your time here with us at Faith Bible Church. Uh, this morning, I want to begin an exciting uh, new five-week series titled Heavenly Rewards. And um, it's derived from a book that I've written by that same title, a book titled Heavenly Rewards. Uh, my wife, Cheryl, was the main encourager uh, for me to write this book, and I'm deeply appreciative uh, for her inspiration for it. Um, I've spoken on this topic a lot of times at many prophecy conferences, and uh, Cheryl uh, would come and, and tell me that this message seemed to really resonate with people, and she encouraged me to put it in writing. And uh, so what I want to do over the next few weeks is uh, share the, the fruit of, of my labor with you. Uh, to introduce this series and to kind of get us started, take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll look at uh, verse 9 through the first part of verse 11. I've titled this message this morning, Under Review. Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through the first part of verse 11. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Well, may the Lord write his eternal word on our hearts this morning. A lot of you have heard of uh, Buffalo Bill Cody and the Buffalo Bill Wild West show. It was a, a big hit back in the late 1800s. And in fact, it was such a big hit in America that they took it on the road over to Europe. And in 1899, Buffalo Bill's Wild West show performed in Berlin, Germany. And uh, the German people, like other people in Europe, just flocked out by the thousands to see this. And uh, one of the main features of the show was uh, a woman named Annie Oakley. And uh, she had a lot of sharpshooting tricks in her act. Uh, you could throw playing cards in the air, and she could shoot them out of the air. Um, uh, they would throw a coin in the air 27 yards away from her, and she could shoot the coin out of the air. Um, she would use a mirror and put a rifle on her shoulder and shoot objects at a, a great distance behind her back. In fact, any man who tried to take her on was always soundly beaten. Uh, she was, uh, many people believe, the first female superstar um, in show business. But one of the, the main acts that she would perform is she would ask for a, a volunteer from the audience to come up and have a, a lit cigar in their mouth, and she would shoot the ashes off the end with a 45 Colt pistol. Well, you can imagine, not many people volunteered. So her husband was always there, Frank Butler, and he would always volunteer if nobody else did. And I'm sure he treated her very well during the week at that time. But while they were in Berlin, Germany, when she asked for a volunteer, to her shock and everyone else's, the newly crowned German emperor, Kaiser Wilhelm II, volunteered. So he comes forward, and she gives him this big lit cigar with these ashes, and from some distance away, she shoots the ashes off with this 45 Colt pistol. And again, everybody's, you know, amazed by what's happening. Well, 15 years later, Kaiser Wilhelm plunged the world into First World War. Uh, causing Annie Oakley to wonder how events in the world might have unfolded differently if she had missed and hit the Kaiser. <laughs> but what we do know is that Annie Oakley did send the Kaiser a letter after the start of World War I asking for an opportunity to take another shot. <laughs> uh, she never received a reply back from him for that. But I've thought about that quite a bit, and that teaches us a very important lesson in life. And that is, like Annie Oakley, when it comes to life here on earth, you and I, we only get one shot. Uh, there's no do-overs, there's no dress rehearsals, uh, there's no mulligans. A life here on earth is brief, but it counts for all eternity. And you and I get one life and one chance. There's no replay, there's no rewind. 
I love the way Randy Alcorn puts it. This is powerful. He says that death, we put the signature on our life's portrait. The paint dries, the portrait's done, ready or not. The main thought that I want to develop in this study this morning, and then kind of I want to tease this out over the next few weeks, is that every one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ has one shot at life. And that that one shot at life that we have someday is going to be reviewed and rewarded by our Lord, and that our life for all of eternity will be dramatically impacted by how we live now and the rewards we receive at that evaluation. That what we do now will have an irreversible effect on our eternity. That there's eternal repercussions every day for what you and I do and what we say and what we think. And I like to call this the law of rewards. And again, we're going to unpack this over the next few weeks. But the law of rewards is simply this. The life you live today will determine your life in eternity. And since that's true, you and I need to take dead aim with the one shot at life that we have, and we need to make it count. Because when this life is over, every one of us will face the judgment. And Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed to man once to die. And after that comes the judgment. Now, a lot of Christians today downplay the notion of heavenly rewards. In fact, um, I've met some believers I've talked to at length who actually deny the idea of any rewards in the future. And most Christians probably haven't heard a sermon on this, and probably people don't spend much time thinking about it, but I hope to correct that, at least in our church, uh, over the next few weeks. Now, some of you might be wondering if rewards are even that big of a deal. It's not uncommon when the topic of future rewards come up to hear people say something like, well, look, just being in heaven is going to be enough. You know, that's all the reward I need. Uh, spending eternity with Jesus and seeing Him is going to be good enough. And it, you know, I, don't, I don't care if I you know, get some extra reward or if I'm seated on the front row in heaven. Um, being on the back row will be fine with me just as long as I'm there. Well, now, it is certainly true it's going to be infinitely better to be in heaven than it is to be in hell. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, but, but that kind of a response that, you know, it doesn't matter what rewards I get can sound really pious and very humble, but I think tragically it's unbiblical because we have to remember that rewards are God's idea. We didn't come up with the idea of rewards. It's God's idea. They're His idea, not ours. And receiving rewards will be a sign that God has approved of what I've done and that I've given pleasure to God. So you and I should seek God's approval and His pleasure above all else, and our rewards in heaven will be a reflection of that. Uh, the rewards that God offers us are priceless treasures, and God expects us to desire them. And they must be great, whatever they are, because God tells us to labor for them. So we have the opportunity right now by uh, what we do and how we live to assure ourselves of infinitely greater rewards in the life to come. There's going to be vast differences among God's people when we get to heaven based on our degree of faithfulness and our sacrifice for the Lord in this life. We'll all be there as believers in heaven, and it's all going to be good, but there's going to be vast difference among believers. Rewards are a big deal to God, and I can assure you they're going to be a big deal to all of us someday when we stand before Him. They're going to be a tangible evidence that we please the Lord with our life. Now, in order for you to see just a little bit of what a big deal rewards are to God, I want to just read a few selected scriptures. And literally, I could read uh, probably 40 or 50 verses up here this morning, but let me just read a, a few. Genesis 15, 1, 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Psalm 62, 12, loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. Jesus, in, in Matthew uh, 16, 27, it says, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will repay every man according to his deeds. Mark 9, 41, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Hebrews eleven six. 6, the one who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God's a rewarder. 2 John 8 says, watch yourselves that you do not lose what you've accomplished, that you may receive a full reward. And then finally, some of the last words in the Bible of Jesus, he said this in Revelation twenty two twelve: behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to every man according to what he's done. So I hope you can see here that uh, the idea of future rewards are real. And the Bible is clear that what we do now will affect our existence uh, for all of eternity. So a time of rewards is coming. Now, God doesn't have to reward anybody for anything, but he does it because he wants to. And make no mistake about this, regardless of what you and I think about it, that's exactly what's going to happen someday. Now, one of the key issues that always comes up about rewards is a lot of people say, well, working for a reward in heaven seems kind of mercenary at worst and narcissistic, or or mercenary at best and narcissistic at worst. You know, this idea of I'm going to labor here to get some reward in the future. And so people often ask, "Should should I labor in view of rewards or to get rewards? Now, probably for most of us here, most of what we do, we do it really not thinking about a reward. We're thinking about serving God and serving other people. It's like a a soldier that's over fighting in Afghanistan and uh, does does some heroic act to go and rescue one of uh, his troops uh, under heavy enemy fire. When he's doing that, I'm sure he's not thinking, well, I hope when I get back, I'll get the Congressional Medal of Honor. When people do that, they don't think they're coming back. And that's the farthest thing from their mind. The, the person serving that person to, to rescue their friend and their, their, their comrades and also serving to uh, defend the freedom of our country. But it's the givers of the reward when the person gets back who are inspired to express their gratitude for the heroism of that person. So I think in the same way, we serve God primarily and sacrifice for him because we love him. Uh, We don't serve for the rewards. In fact, the verse I just read, the beginning verse here this morning, we have as our ambition, whether at home, that is whether at home in this life or absent from the body, whatever state we're in, uh, to be pleasing to the Lord. But having said that, let me say this, serving and working for rewards is also biblical. Uh, Moses, it says about Moses in in, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 that he gave up the passing pleasures of sin and he considered the the riches of Christ better than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking for the reward. Moses was looking for a reward in giving up the passing pleasures of sin. And the great apostle Paul in Philippians 3.14, he says, forgetting the things that are behind, I press on toward the goal for the prize at the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Paul was pursuing the prize in his life of rewards in heaven. So laboring for rewards is biblical because those rewards are a, are a symbol and a sign to us that we pleased God and his approval with our lives. So with, all, with that backdrop in our minds this morning, I want to spend the rest of our time looking here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, primarily here at verse 10, because it describes for us that future event when the Lord's going to reward us. It's the, the future event on God's prophetic calendar when we will receive rewards. So this is a good place in our, our thinking about rewards for us to begin. This event's called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me put this uh, text in its context. If you were to go back and look at chat, 2 Corinthians 5 and verses 1 through 8, Paul's been talking about life after death. He's been talking about the intermediate state, like what, what's going to happen between when we die and the Lord comes. He's been talking about the new body that we're going to receive. And all the prospect here of life after death then causes Paul to think about the future judgment. And he says, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. In other words, the main focus that you and I should have in this life with the one shot at life that God has given to us is to be pleasing to him. That's the goal of life. But then he says in verse 10, for or because, here's the reason you ought to try to please God with your life, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the incentive, if you will, or the motivation. So let's begin by focusing on the place that this is going to occur. Notice he says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Where are these heavenly rewards going to be distributed? The Bible says it's at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the words judgment seat that we have in English is one Greek word. It's the word bema. And a bema in that day was a step or a raised platform that required steps to ascend. So the platform I'm standing on here, you could call this a bema. And back in that day, every major Greek and, and uh, Roman city had a bema in the marketplace. Um, in, in, Roman, uh, in, in Roman cities, the, the marketplace was called the Forum. In Greek cities, it was called an Agora. And there was one of these in the marketplace at Corinth. And I've got a slide of the, of, uh, of the judgment seat there in Corinth, if we can have that put up there for everybody to see. That's the Agora or marketplace in the ancient city of Corinth. And back there in the back on the far left, you can see some stones piled up there. That's the, that's the Bema seat that was in the marketplace in the city of Corinth. And the next slide, you can see it up close. That's the Acro Corinth in the background, but that's the Bema where judgment was passed down. In Acts 18.12, Paul stood, the apostle Paul stood in front of that judgment seat, stood there in front of that Bema before the proconsul, a man named Gallio. So the people in that day were very familiar with this idea of a judgment seat or a Bema. Um, there, was, there were judgment seats like this where, where justice was dispensed. Uh, there were judgment seats or bemas in military camps where medals and commendations were given. Also in the athletic, the athletic games. Uh, there's a, a city not far from Corinth called Ismia, and every other year they had Olympic games there. And they would have had those in A.D. 51 when Paul was there in the spring. So he would, he would have probably have attended those games. So a lot of the athletic imagery that Paul has comes from his attending uh, the games of those days. But he calls this the judgment seat or the bema, notice, of Christ. 
So it's the bema of Christ. Christ is the judge at this judgment. He's the inspector and the reviewer. In fact, John 5, Jesus said, not even the Father judges anyone, but He's given all judgment to the Son. So you and I will be judged at this bema seat of Jesus Christ in heaven uh, by our Lord. Now, the second key to understanding this coming event is the participants. That is, who's going to be there? There's three key words here. Notice those words, we must all. The we there includes Paul and all believers. Notice Paul includes himself in this we, that is all believers, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I believe this is a different judgment than the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. At that judgment, that'll be all the lost of all the ages that at the end of the age will appear before the Lord to be judged. And they'll get degrees of punishment Just like the righteous will get degrees of reward. But the Bible says they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And that's the most horrific passage in all the Bible. But notice it says here, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In other words, it's not optional. You can't opt out. This judgment is going to be inescapable. So every person here this morning, someday you're going to appear at one of two judgments. You're either going to be at the judgment seat of Christ as a believer to have your life reviewed and to be rewarded for what you've done, or you're going to appear at the great white throne judgment as someone who's lost, to be cast forever and separated from the presence of God. When he says we must all appear, I take it that this is church-age believers. I think uh, Old Testament saints and tribulation saints are going to be judged at the second coming of Christ. So I take this just to be believers from this church age. And you notice he says, we must all appear. It's plural. But then he gets down to the singular so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done. So it's going to be individual. Romans 14.10 says, for we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God, listen to this, so that each one may give an account of himself uh, to God. That's sobering. Someone said it like this years ago, every believer is going to have to sing solo before God. Now, you get in a choir, around a bunch of people can sing. I can sound pretty good, but we've got to sing solo uh, before God. Erwin Lutzer captures the drama of this scene. He says it like this, imagine staring into the face of Christ, just the two of you one-on-one. Your entire life is present before you. In a flash, you see what he sees. No hiding, no opportunity to put a better spin on what you did, no attorney to represent you. The look in his eyes says it all. Like it or not, that's precisely where you and I will be someday. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen someday. Now, when's this going to take place? What's, what's the period of this? When's it going to happen? Well, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 tells us we're going to get our rewards in heaven after the Lord comes, right after the rapture. You'll often hear about someone, they'll say, well, you know, so-and-so passed away and they've gone on now to their reward. Well, actually, they haven't been rewarded yet. Rewards are going to be given when Christ comes. All of God's people are gathered there together. That's when he'll give rewards. And we know that because 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, don't go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in darkness. He'll expose the motives of men's hearts. And each man's praise will come to him from God. Notice what he says. It's when the Lord comes. 
So when Christ comes and catches us to heaven at the rapture to take us to be with him, that's the first order of business that's going to occur uh, in heaven. In Revelation 22:12, I quoted this earlier, but I love this verse. One of the last verses in the Bible, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to every man according to what he's done. So it says, look, when he comes, that's when this will take place. Now, I've got a slide here that maybe will help us see this also. Uh, this is from a book by Tommy Ice and Tim LaHaye called Charting the End Times. But over here on the left, we're going to experience the rapture. The Lord will come. And then in heaven, while the tribulation is taking place on earth, we're going to undergo the judgment seat of Christ. We'll be reviewed and rewarded. And then at the end of the tribulation period, we'll come back uh, with Christ. Now, somebody asked me after the first service, and I've, I've thought about this. It's actually in the book I've written. Well, how's he going to be able to judge everybody in seven years, all these millions of people? The only thing I can say is God can do things in an economy of time that we can't. And we know that, I think. So he's going to get it done. So we see the place this is going to happen. It's the Bema seat of Christ. Uh, the participants, it's every church-age Christian and then the period of this is right after the rapture. Now, that brings us to the fourth key question about the judgment seat of Christ. And this gets to the heart of the matter. Notice he says in verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that. That's a statement of purpose. There's a purpose involved in this judgment seat. Now, before I say what the purpose is, let me make sure we know what the purpose of the judgment seat is not. The judgment seat of Christ is not to determine if we get into heaven or not. The issue at the judgment seat is not going to be where we'll spend eternity, but how we will spend eternity. In other words, the issue at the judgment seat is not our salvation or our redemption, but it's our rewards. And something that's very important for us to keep clear in our minds is that our salvation or our redemption is based totally upon Christ's work for us then our rewards are based upon our works for Christ after we became a believer. But we have to keep those two separate. Our redemption is by belief. It's by faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone. But our rewards after we become a believer are based on our behavior. Uh, when I was at Dallas Seminary years ago, someone said that in the registrar's office, there was a sign hanging there that said, salvation is by grace, graduation is by works. And that's a pretty good way to put it. I mean, our salvation is by grace, but you graduate, you got to work. There's works you have to do. And so salvation is by grace alone, without any works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it as clearly as you can say it. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone uh, should boast. However, it does go on in the next verse to say what? For we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. God's prepared beforehand that we should work in them. So we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, but we're saved unto good works. The works come after our salvation, not as part of it. And let me just ask you at this point and pause for a moment and ask you this. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ and put your faith in him apart from works? Have you done that? Uh, we're saved by his dying, not by our doing. We're saved by his mercy, not by any merit whatsoever that we have. So come to him this morning and take that free gift of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life if you've never done that. 
So the purpose of this judgment is not to determine if we get into heaven. That was decided here on earth when we trusted Christ. So you say, well, what is the purpose of this judgment? Well, it tells us so that each one may be recompensed or rewarded for his deeds. So the Lord's going to call us before him. Our life as a believer is going to be reviewed and evaluated, and then we're going to get reward or lack of reward. Now, I don't think our life before we became a Christian will be part of this judgment. Um, Our life B.C. or before Christ won't be brought up because we weren't a believer and didn't even know the Lord. How could we do works that were empowered to serve Him? So it's going to be our life as a Christian. So our life as a believer will be evaluated to determine our rewards. And by the way, next week we're going to talk about what rewards we're going to receive. What are they going to look like? Now, one thing that always bothers folks is the very end of verse 10 where it says, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Now, we know what the good is. That's the rewardable stuff. But what is the bad? Is the bad here, does it involve our sins? In Greek, there's a a word uh, for, for bad that means bad in the sense of evil. That's not the word that's used here. The Greek word used here is used in the sense of bad, more in the sense of, uh, of something that's worthless. So I don't think our sins will be an issue at the judgment seat of Christ. Aren't you glad to hear that this morning? Uh, that's a wonderful thing. When I was a little kid, man, I used to picture the judgment seat of Christ like a screen up here, and the Lord is going to put my life up there, every wretched thing I did, every sordid thought I ever had. I mean, that was the most terrifying thing to me I could ever imagine. But Jesus paid it all for our sins. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the issue, there's not going to be condemnation for our sins, but commendation for our service. It's not going to be punishment for our sins, but praise for our service to Him. So you say, well, if these bad things here aren't sins, then what are they? Probably the best way to describe it is they're bad good works. You say, well, what's a bad good work? Well, it's something we did for the Lord, but we did it with a wrong motive. It was somehow tainted with the idea of self-glory. In other words, it's, it's non-rewardable. Look, look, the Lord is going to not just look at what we did and how we did it, but He's going to look at the why behind it. And I think that's the most searching thing. God doesn't just know what we do. He knows why we do it. And nothing will escape His scrutinizing eye. Hebrews 4.13 says, all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In fact, the word here in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat. That word appear means to be made manifest or disclosed. In other words, we're going to be turned inside out, if you will. The Lord is going to disclose the motives of men's hearts at that day. There's an old story, I know I've told it here before, but it's about a group of school children lined up in a a Catholic school in the cafeteria for lunch. And they get to the beginning of the line and there's a big pile of apples there and it says, take only one and remember God is watching. And finally, when they get to the end of the line, there's a big pile of chocolate chip cookies and one of the children had written a note and put it there that said, take all the cookies you want, God's watching the apples. (laughs) Kids are good like that, aren't they? But we all know God's watching the cookies and the apples, right? I mean, God knows everything. And here's, here's something that should, should uh, shake us this morning in many ways. The omniscient eye of God doesn't just see to us, but God sees through us. God knows our motives. He knows the why uh, behind the what. Uh, the Lord reads the fine print of our lives, if you will. So the purpose of this event, when we'll stand before the Lord someday, is to review our lives and to, to reward us. 
Now, I want to close this morning by looking at a picture of this that I hope will help us kind of lay hold of this. It's over in 1 Corinthians 3. If you want to turn over there for just a moment, he gives us a graphic picture, I think, to kind of help us visualize this and make it more concrete in our lives. And he gives the illustration here of building a building. What he tells us here is every believer is constructing a house. And one of these days, that house is going to be inspected. Paul says in verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, I think in this context, what Paul is saying is, Paul had come to the city of Corinth on his second missionary journey and spent 18 months there. And when he was there, he founded the church. And the foundation that he laid there was Jesus Christ. And Paul had left, and now others were building the church. And he says that they better be careful how they build because they're going to be called to account. But I think then Paul goes on and expands this really and applies it to all of us because he says, if any man builds on the foundation, down in verse 13, each man's work will become evident. So I think he expands this out beyond his own uh, initial situation to all believers. And again, we're building a house. And someday the divine building inspector is going to come and evaluate how we've constructed our dwelling. And the work is going to be tested. And only what remains is going to be, uh, going to, going to be uh, rewarded. And here's the thing. You and I get to select the materials we build with. Now the foundation, the only foundation is Jesus. And I pray to hear today that every one of us, our life is built upon Him, our marriage, our home, our family, our business, uh, this church, that every aspect of our lives, we're building it upon that solid foundation of Jesus Christ and Him alone. But once we have that foundation in place, we begin to build a life. And He says, you can choose gold and silver and precious stones. That'd be the good stuff, right? That would correspond to the good back over in 2 Corinthians 5.10. We know what that is. It's lasting stuff that's valuable. But then he says you can build with wood and hay and straw. And that corresponds to the bad over in 2 Corinthians 5.10. We all know what that is. It's the stuff that's temporary and cheap. It's faster to build with. You can do it a lot quicker. But it's not going to last. It's not going to... Uh, it's not going to stay. So he's talking about what's rewardable and unrewardable. And then notice what he says in verse 13, each man's work will become evident. The day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Notice it's not the quantity of it, the quality. I don't think God's against quantity, but he's most interested in the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he's built upon it remains he's going to get a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. He himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. I think about that. A lot of what we've built and we've labored for and we've spent our life on, it's just going to go up at the judgment seat in a puff of smoke. But I love this. He says, yet he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. It's not the person that's burned up. It's their works because they're a believer. They're going to come through uh, the fire. Well, J. Vernon McGee used to say years ago that at the judgment seat of Christ, many of us will smell like we were bought at a fire sale. And, um, but, but the good news is we'll make it through if we're a believer in the Lord Jesus, and, and only believers will be at this judgment. 
But, but this just calls on each one of us. Look, do, do you have the foundation in place in your life of Jesus Christ? And what kind of house are you building? What kind of materials are you using? And are you taking a, a long-term perspective in what you're using uh, to build your life? I like uh, the story of a building contractor who was asked by a rich friend to build a house. And while doing the project, the guy frequently cut a lot of corners to save money, to line his own pockets, and he skimmed in places like the foundation and, and the framing of the house, things that wouldn't be seen or wouldn't become evident for several years down the road. Uh, the surface of the house looked great, but the, the quality and the workmanship was poor. You can imagine the regret and disappointment of this man when he finished the house, when his rich friend's friend handed him the keys to the house, and he said, actually, I was having you build this house for yourself, and here's the keys to the house, and you can have this house on one condition, that you live in it all the rest of your life. Now, that's true, really, for all of us. We're building a house, and the house that we're building is really the house of our own making. It's going to affect our eternity forever. And tragically, our shoddy, selfish service today not only robs the Lord of His glory, but it robs us of the reward that God uh, wants us to enjoy someday. Now, I know what some of you are probably thinking at this point. You're probably thinking, I'm not going to get anything at the judgment seat of Christ. I've thought that a lot in my own life. You read these passages, you think, I'm not going to get anything. I'm going to be the guy that just gets through the fire is all. And it's a good question to ask, and we'll be answering more questions as we go along in the next few weeks, but will every believer get a reward at the judgment seat of Christ? Now, I used to teach years ago that some believers would get no reward because he says they're, they're going to go through the fire, and he's going to be saved, yet so as through fire. But years ago, I'll never forget where I was. I was listening to J. Vernon McGee on the radio, through the Bible radio, and he was talking about this subject, and he talked about 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Again, I quoted it earlier, but the last phrase there says, and each man's praise will come to him from God. And in the Greek, it's in the singular. Each man, each person's praise will come to him from God. And he made the point based on that verse, and I think he's right, God will find something in the life of every believer to reward. And that's encouraging to me because at my best, I can't think of anything that I do without some of Mark Hitchcock in it in one way or another. Probably the only things I do without some of myself in it are things I do so quickly that I don't get time to think about it. I mean, think about how, how often do we do things with 100% pure motives. But, but the beauty of this is any reward that you and I receive ultimately will be from the grace of God. And think about this. God came and saved me by His grace and didn't have to do it. And then he empowered me by his Holy Spirit to do the things that will please him. And then someday God's going to reward me for that. I mean, it's all of God's grace from beginning to end. Each man's praise will come to him from God. Another thing I've thought about is at the judgment seat, are we going to have remorse and regret? Will there be tears at the judgment seat? We'll talk about this more later in, in subsequent weeks, but I just wanted to say this, that I think there will be some sense of regret and remorse there because we're not going to be dumber then than we are now. I mean, you know, we're not going to know less then than we know now. We're going to know about squandered opportunities about responsibilities that we didn't carry out faithfully and, and, and things in our life that didn't please God. But I, I believe, though, that the overall emotion at the judgment seat of Christ for every one of us will be joy. In, in Jude, verse 24, 
It says we're going to stand in His glorious presence blameless with great joy. So I don't want you to leave here today thinking that, man, this judgment seat's going to be the worst thing in the world that's ever happened. Well, look, there's going to be regret there and there's going to be remorse. And our eternity will be different based on how we live our lives now. But God's going to find something, I believe, to reward in our lives, and it's going to be a time of joy. Here's the way one person says it. The small will be great, the forgotten will be remembered, the unnoticed will be crowned, and the faithful will be honored. Your day is coming. What the world has overlooked, your Father has remembered, and sooner than you can imagine, you'll be blessed by Him. It could happen in any moment. Christ could come, the rapture can take place. You and I are going to be caught up, and the first order of business... We're going to be there at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And the person you are today is going to determine the rewards you receive tomorrow. Your life here and now, and my life here and now, is going to affect and determine our life for all of eternity. Well, praise God. Let's, we'll pick up there next time. Let's pray together. If you're here this morning and you've never put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, if, if that firm foundation's not in place, Don't leave here this morning until you get that foundation in place and you trust in Christ as your Savior. Father, for those of us who know you, grip us this morning with the reality of this event. Don't let us just be hearers of the Word. Father, help us to realize that day is coming, and it may be soon, and we need to be ready. Father, I thank you for this revelation you've given to us to prepare us for the coming of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his precious name. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with me for the benediction as we're dismissed. Again, if you're visiting with us, thank you so much for coming to be with us this morning. We appreciate uh, your presence with us. If you go out these doors, the left-hand side of the lobby, there's a welcome center there, and there's some folks there that would love to greet you and uh, give you some more information about our church. Also, uh, our elders who are present in this service will be down front after the service. We'd love the opportunity to meet with you, uh, maybe pray with you if you have a need or answer any questions you have. And one other announcement, uh, John Brock, a beloved member here at our church for many years, an elder at our church, a good friend, he went to, be with he- went to heaven to be with the Lord this last week. And a lot of these things we've been talking about, I've been thinking about John in the light of those. Uh, but we need to be praying for, for Lonnie and for the family. And um, 10 o'clock Thursday this week, the service will be 10 o'clock Thursday morning over at First Presbyterian Church. So I wanted to be sure and let you all know about that. Let's bow our head for the benediction now as we leave here with the Lord's blessing upon us. Father, send us out now, we pray, empowered by your Spirit. Father, energized and motivated by what we've heard this morning. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.